Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80, The Zone. Well, the U.S. Olympic basketball team got things started, and that wasn't pretty. They were all over the map. I mean, they've got potential. There's no doubt about that. It's not like the team is a disaster. Now, ultimately, the results might be disastrous, but if they got the talent to compete. Australia, Spain, France look like the main challengers for medals and for the gold. Uh, maybe somebody else. I don't have a, a complete handle on the Olympic basketball picture, but I think those are the four along with the U.S. I'm looking at. Uh, U.S. and Spain, France and Australia. And the U.S. led France at halftime. Now, a terrible third quarter. They got behind. Durant got in foul trouble. Uh, but fourth quarter, they took the lead. Five minutes to go. They're up. Drew Holiday led them with 18 points. He had a bucket and... France had to call timeout, but man, did France right the ship. They finished the game on a 16-2 run. Multiple guys had good looks down the stretch and couldn't make shots. Lillard missed a big shot. Durant missed a shot. It goes on and on. So the U.S. loses. Now, there's 12 teams in this tournament, and it's a very forgiving format here in the first week. Eight of the 12 are going to advance to the quarterfinals. At that point, it's the NCAA basketball tournament. It's just single elimination. Two teams play, losers out, winner moves on. (coughs) Right now, though, it's group play. And the top two in every group advance, and two of the three third-place teams will advance. The U.S. has a run coming up on Wednesday. They better win that. And then they got the Czech Republic on Saturday to wrap up group play. So France should win the group. The U.S. should come in second. And then away we go from there. So... See how this plays out. Their 25-game win streak in the Olympics is over. They clearly have stretches where they look good, and they clearly have stretches where they don't. So who knows how this will play out. Probably they need to win five in a row to win the tournament now. They've used their mulligan. Uh, Realistically, maybe they split the next two, get into the quarterfinals, and then you got to win your last three to win the tournament because at that point you're in the 18th bracket, and it's, uh, it's NCAA style. All right, so we'll uh, we'll have more on that later in the show. Coming up, we've got uh, a couple of big stories here. Um, we got basketball coming up with the Jazz. David Locke joined us late in the show. Holiday weekend, so a lot of you. Um, well, if you're here on both Thursday, Monday, thank you. I'll just say that. Thank you. <laughs> But I know a lot of people are stretching this out, but we had a really good conversation about the Jazz, and we're going to get to this coming up. Uh, And it started with a question about the draft. And he's like, well, it's a close call, but he's leaning towards trading out of the draft and using that roster spot and that money to get a veteran. You know, are you going to be able to draft anyone who's going to help you win right away? Now, if you think you can get somebody, you know, like Rudy Gobert at 27, they're drafting 30. But you get Rudy Gobert at 27, if you have a chance to make that kind of pick, you better make the pick. So there's no absolutes here. But the Jazz have a championship window, and David's going to get into this. Uh, He and I have theories, and they're about 90% aligned. You know, Rudy's now 29. He's not a young guy anymore. His ability to move at his size is freakish. It is incredible. I mean, he's not Giannis, uh, but nobody's Giannis. Uh, But he's very mobile for a big guy. And it keys the defense, and it really makes things difficult. But he's got three to four more years left in his prime here. You know, 32, 33, if his mobility starts uh, lessening, that wouldn't be surprising if he doesn't move as well. Maybe he'll beat the odds. Maybe he'll be like Stockton. He'll be flying around at 35 and 36. Who knows? But I think for the sake of planning right now, you got to assume this is Rudy's championship window right now. And Donovan signed a five-year deal. Fifth year is at his option. So that's three to four years, depending on you know if he 
if it's not going well, uh, and Locke will get into this, then it's time to make a trade after three years, right? And start rebuilding. Uh, because Rudy's aging, and you got to move him when you have a chance to get something for him, and you can't let him get to free agency, yada, yada. So we'll get into all of that coming up. I think it's pretty interesting. And then also Barry Trammell uh, is written in Oklahoma. First as a beat writer, now as a columnist, the paper in Oklahoma City, newsok.com online. Um, and we had a long conversation about where is the Big 12 going. He believes that it's uh, you know pretty much 80% done, that Oklahoma and Texas are going to end up in the SEC. So do the eight teams left, do they find a home in another league? Uh, West Virginia to the ACC, Kansas and Iowa State. Will the Big Ten take them? And Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, uh, Kansas possibly. You know, who might... The Pac-12 one. So there's all kinds of question marks. Or do the eight stay together, and do they bring on BYU and Houston and Memphis and Cincinnati, which could be risky for those teams to leave their homes and go to a league that could then fall apart if the other teams later get invites and move. So a lot to get into, but um, he really lays out the money. It's enormous. Uh, so we'll get to that. Barry Trammell coming up next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to replay most of a conversation I had with Barry Trammell on Thursday about where this is going with Texas and Oklahoma, and well, probably to the SEC. But then, what does that mean for the remaining schools? Will the Pac-12 make a play for some of those schools? Will those schools make a play for BYU? The Utes and Cougars' futures could be tied to the dominoes that fall if Oklahoma and Texas go ahead and make this move. Um, here's Barry Trammell uh, from Oklahoma City on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Does the Big 12 stand together? I mean, Oklahoma and Texas, they're talking now, but it, is the money good enough that they're going to go? The money is, I think, you know, this is a two-sided decision. Does OU and Texas want to go? Does the SEC want them? I think uh, OU and Texas have decided to go. The money is too good. Uh, we're hearing that you know the Big Twelve payout is about thirty-eight million a year. The last the last go round to each school. <laughs> we're hearing that it could you know, OU in Texas and the SEC could push it past sixty million a year, wow. twenty-two million dollars a year. You can't say no to that. I don't think um, so. That means that the SEC say yes and um for the sec i think sec teams make 44 million a year last time around so 16 million extra um you know that's a lot of that's a lot of money to say no to texas a&m would say no to it because they don't want any part of texas in the league with them but does missouri does does south carolina can you know does any of those teams say no any of those schools say no. Seems like a long shot that they would say no. Seems like a long shot. 
So would are the other? Let's assume then that Oklahoma and Texas, for a fifty percent raise, decide to move. And by the way, a lot of people in America for a fifty percent raise would decide to move. So let's not throw too many stones at glass houses. So there's eight teams left in the Big Twelve at that point. Do they all jump and try to find their own league, or do they stick together and say, "Let's find two, four more teams"? And keep plugging along because we got a we got a good thing going here, and there still is a place for us. And there are going to be six conference champions apparently in this new playoff formula. Who get in? Oklahoma's been winning all the time. Now one of us is going to win, and we're going to elevate our program. I think your latter point is solid. I think Big Twelve football could make a go of it with the twelve team format. No doubt about it. Um, I. I just think financially it's going to be a hit, a major hit. Yeah. Because Oklahoma and Texas are such bell cows of the Big 12. And whatever the, whatever the payout is, whatever the contract is with Fox and ESPN, next time around it's going to be significantly less for a reduced conference. It won't fall down into the Mountain West or American Conference range, but it would not be – anywhere near what the, what the other Power Five conferences are making. So I think the first option for those schools in Oklahoma State, a Tech, a Kansas, Kansas State, whoever, the first option would be landing somewhere else, and that's clearly the Pac-12. I think that's the only viable option. Um, and then so, you know, sort of sustaining the Big 12 would be plan B. You know, the question, you know, one of the things I worry about is, you know, where, where, are there going to be enough slots for everybody to land in? Baylor and TCU probably in bad shape. You said it well. Pac-12 is not going to take them. Um, what would the ACC look at? Would the ACC, you know, would the ACC consider West Virginia? They're like the Pac-12 in that they're a little bit academic snobbery. But the ACC did take Louisville to replace Maryland uh, in 13 or 14. Louisville is not, you know, Oxford or Cambridge. So, you know, would they would they hold their nose and take West Virginia also? Um, I would hope so. I love the Mountaineers. I hope they have a good landing spot. That's my that's my biggest problem with all this. Is there's some schools I really like and. Um, and I'm really uh, respect and, and think a lot of that could get left out in the cold. Baylor, if something happens to Baylor, I don't really care. Baylor can't stay out of its own way. But Iowa State is nothing but a great school and a great a bunch of people that really try hard and they've turned their football into something special in the last few years. And you know they could get left out in the cold. And you know that's the kind of that's the thing I just hate. Uh, I think teams will get left out in the cold. This is uh, it's all collegial until it's not. And as soon as you start talking about twenty five and fifty percent raises, Iowa State, mm, good luck. You're going to get left out in the cold at that point. Yeah, um, you know the Big Ten. Will the Big Ten decide? Hey, we got to we got to get to sixteen. Kansas would seem like a sort of a natural for the Big Ten. They're a member of the American Associations. Of, of universities, the AAU, that's a Big Ten sort of requirement. Mm-hmm. Um, Iowa State is also, um, 
does I does the Big Ten want Iowa State and Iowa? Does Iowa want Iowa State in? Um, I can, the one good I can thing answer, is I can answer that for you, Barry. <laughs> well, actually, you know what? I heard that they're a little more civilized than in places like Oklahoma and, and Utah, maybe. Oh, okay. I actually heard Iowa might be okay with Iowa State being in. I don't know if that's true, but I mm-hmm. heard that. One good thing is 10, 12 years ago when all we had the big realignment shuffle, it was all based on cable households. Mm-hmm. How many households have cable uh, you know, in your geographic footprint? That's out the door. That doesn't matter anymore. Um, cable, the streaming is what matters now, and that means how many eyeballs care about your team. And Iowa State's got a good fan base. And um, just because they're in the state of Iowa doesn't really affect that. So uh, I, I think they would have a shot at the Big Ten if the Big Ten wanted to expand and wanted to go with AAU teams. Um, but you never know. So Kansas would be a solid Kansas basketball you know, that, that would be a, a streaming gold mine for whoever has KU. So I think Kansas will land somewhere solid, whether it's the PAC or the Big Ten. But anyway, uh, I, don't, I don't know about the Iowa States and the Kansas States and the West Virginias. So you think we're going to four 16-team conferences? Is everyone going to have to follow the SEC? Well, I don't, I don't necessarily think you have to. You know, back back uh, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, it seemed like we needed to because it looked like that was going to be the pathway to a 14 playoff. Well, we got there anyway, and now we're going to 12. So conference alignment with the 12-team playoff really doesn't mean much. So the Big, tw- the Big Ten, for instance, doesn't have to respond if the SEC goes 16. The... A, the ACC doesn't have to respond. The Pac-12 doesn't have to respond. Um, now, I think the Pac, you, you'd know more than me, but it seems like the Pac might be the most likely to expand because they've been sort of, what's the word, stagnant. Mm-hmm. They've been just sort of, you know, they've been left out of, of the playoff more often than not. Um, their revenues have not risen the way uh, they have in the in, in some of the other conferences, so they might be interested in just shaking it up uh, from an athletics side. And as you said, the academic side is much different, and who knows what would happen there. But um, you don't have. I, I don't think we're necessarily going to four sixteens. Uh, there's nothing. There's nothing forcing that. I would say there's nothing forcing that. Yeah, I, I think the hard read in the Pac-12 era is they have a brand new commissioner. Presidents are, are turning over all the time. And I think the, well, I don't think, it's been well reported by multiple people that the previous commissioner um, had a very small circle. And he really didn't go beyond that circle. So now, whether it's people who didn't have a voice before who are now going to have a voice because a new commissioner is going to have a new circle and maybe a bigger circle, and just the inevitable turnover, there could be some new voices at the table in the Pac-12. Now, maybe the new voices 
came up through the old system will just echo what the old voices said. But, you know, I don't know those people, and those people are new, and so that remains. And there's now new pressures on the system, right? The playoff changes, the size of these other league changes. What doesn't change is they're generating more money, and they're going to hire your coaches away if your coaches have success. Yeah. Let me ask you, what do you think of the, the Arizona schools, Utah and Colorado, those four? What would their impression be of of expansion and a little less connection with the West Coast schools? They don't like um, it at all. They're here for USC. USC is the biggest game of the year. They love having USC on campus. They sell a gazillion tickets, regardless of whether they're mediocre or good or great themselves. So they want that connection. I think the only way to handle it, and I think the Pac-12 has to do this anyway because of the playoff, I think the Pac-12 is going to have to get rid of divisions. In this new format, with six conference champs in and then six the next six highest-ranked teams in, the risk is you have a team in one division that is, say, 11-1 and one and ranked, I don't know, seventh in the country. But in your other division, somebody's 8-4 and four or 9-3. and three, And they pull an upset, you could knock yourself out of the playoff. Your champion wouldn't be good enough to get in, and the team that was good enough to get in just lost to this 8-4, and 9-3 and three team. They're going to drop like a rock and be out. You can't risk that. So I think... What we might see, and I think this makes sense if they do go to 16, is four groups of four, and you have three permanent opponents, which would appeal to the California teams because they want to maintain those rivalries. They've tweaked the schedule now, so they still play every year, even though they're split between the North and South divisions. It would appeal to the Oregon and Washington schools because there are multiple rivalries there. In-state's a big deal, but that Oregon-Washington game is huge. It's a big rivalry. So maybe you just have three permanent opponents, and the other six you just rotate around the league. Would you still? Would you have division? So you no. just have, uh, you'd have, have one thing. Title game, and you'd have a title game. What, what the Big Twelve has right now, the top two teams play. Top two teams. Well, that's which interesting. Which you would well, need yeah. because you would yeah. risk having two undefeated teams, right, or two one-loss teams that didn't play each other. And how do you really have a conference champion? And if you don't have a conference champion, what was the point of the conference? Well, the TV yeah. contracts were the point of the conference. But you know, on the field, you still need a champion. Well, that's a, well, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, that would be. Um, yeah, that would be quite. That would be quite uh, interesting. I tell you, the if if OU and Texas leave the Big Twelve, whoever is the top of the line remainder as far as what the Pac twelve sees, mm-hmm. and I think it'd probably be Oklahoma State and Kansas because of basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can tell you, they would be amenable to anything. I mean, they'd. I mean, they'd have their preferences, but they would they would be they would be open to just about anything. Um, so, uh, I think it's uh, I think it's uh, viable. Um, I really do. I just uh, I, I hope Oklahoma State. Just this speaking as a sixty year Oklahoman, I hope Oklahoma State has a good landing spot. And I can tell you, they've got a quality athletic program. They're widespread. You know, they're fourth, they're third or fourth in NCAA championships among all schools um, behind Stanford, UCLA, and they might be third. Anyway, uh, so they've got a a quality athletic department, and 
um, great facilities, and I, I hope they have a I hope they have a landing spot. The thing that really um, is a huge question mark for me is how much will the networks pay for a pack sixteen? And how much more money will the other 12 get if they open their doors to Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, Kansas, you know, whoever well, it turns out to be? Yeah, uh, that's the biggest, that's the biggest but question. I think that's the biggest that, question. Yeah, I think the other thing that's happening here is you're right. The Big 12, if they do stick together, would be greatly diminished. So you've got CBS, Fox, and ABC slash ESPN. You've got three bidders chasing four big leagues. The Pac-12 ought to be worth more money, whether it's the Pac-12 or the Pac-16, simply because where do you go to get games? ABC ESPN has locked up the SEC and the ACC. So if you're the Pac-12 and if you're the Big Ten, you're like, well, guys, let's talk and bring your wallets and your checkbook and your gold card. It's a great point for this reason. You know, back in the... uh in the 2010-2011 turmoil, that became quite apparent is the networks wanted the Big 12 to survive when it looked mm-hmm. like it was going to implode 10 years ago. It wants as many conferences as possible. I mean... It's supply and the, demand. It's supply and demand. If, if, yeah, if the, if the Power Five had all banded together and sold their rights, that would have been the worst thing ever for the, for the networks. So then they'd be facing an NFL situation mm-hmm. where they're just sort of at their mercy. They got no alternatives, yeah. and of course the NFL has the greatest, you know, television contracts of them all. So, um, so if we do get down to four major conferences, that would that absolutely would help the the Pac-12 with with TV negotiations, no doubt about it. And somebody like a Fox could come in and say, you know what, we can. We can show games all day and and uh, get us a bunch of good good matchups and and uh, rival uh, some of these other games that that we're seeing. I as a just as a consumer of college football, one of my favorite things uh, on a regular basis is watching uh, Pac Pac uh, Pac twelve late night games. Come in from a game I covered, get home nine o'clock or something my time and. There's a, there's a Pac-12 game kicking off, so I got to believe people all over, all over America like to do that, and, and you know it, the Pac could literally go from, you know, for 13, 14 hours a day. So I think that's a marketing, I think that's a solid marketing uh, mechanism for the Pac. I'm the only one who thinks this, and I probably shouldn't say it on the radio because. <laughs> Lloyd, Lloyd is taping this. He can play it and be an idiot forever. But I've always thought that the Pac-12 should take Hawaii. They should take Hawaii. Nobody in the Pac-12 likes playing those late-night games you're talking about. You get a late-night game in Oregon and Washington in the fall, and it's raining sideways. It's miserable. It can be snowing in Utah and Colorado. Hawaii would always play that late-night game. You only have to take them in football because they're in the Mountain West in football. They've put all their other sports in the Big West. So they will take less money because they're not supporting. The, they're not in for the whole, the whole deal. And they'll play the late-night game because it's only 5.30 in Hawaii. <laughs> and you only have to send a football team. You don't have to send a tennis team or a volleyball team out there. 
but it messes yeah, well. with the whole it messes with the whole math of a 16 team league because I do think there's something to saying hey we basically got four scheduling quads here and Colorado Utah and the Arizona schools you play each other every year the California schools play every each other every year the four Northwest schools if they bring in four Big 12 teams you play them every year and that leaves you that's three league games you got six more league games. And you've got 12 other teams. Well, you play a home-and-home home with six of them, then you play a home-and-home home with the other six. It's, it's pretty cut and dried. You know, it would, be a, it would be a bitter pill to swallow because you fans love having either USC or UCLA every year and beating them most of the time. And having grown up in Southern California and knowing season ticket holders at USC and UCLA, they're like, I hated going to Utah. I couldn't believe we lost that game. But... I didn't mind seeing fill-in-the-blank rival, a UCLA fan. I didn't mind seeing USC going up there and lose. That was hilarious. <laughs> so <laughs> Let me ask you. Let me ask you. And this is talking to somebody in Salt Lake City. So this is basketball any kind of consideration in this discussion? No. <laughs> no. The money's gotten too big for football. And Utah had an awesome basketball tradition through Rick Majerus. I mean, they were in yeah, four Final Fours. I can't count the Sweet Sixteens they were in. Majerus did three in a row, and he did four in his decade. Jerry Pym, I think, did five in the late 70s and early 80s, and there were a slew of Sweet Sixteens. It was basically it was a 16 to 2014 tournament. When you get back to the 50s and 60s, the youths were literally good every decade. Every yeah. decade they were good. And right now, it's all about football. Chris Hill's retired now, but he's AD up there for 30 years. He was an assistant basketball coach briefly to Jerry Pym. And he was a high school basketball coach here. And then he, he worked for a nonprofit before he went up to the U.S. athletic director. And he's like, I'm a basketball guy. And I can't believe how it's flipped on his head. But I'm not going to sit here and argue with you about football driving the bus. Football drives the bus. So basketball, no consideration. Yeah. I, one other thing before I let you go, Barry, I am really um, curious about independence going forward because with this new 12-team playoff, Notre Dame doesn't have to get in the ACC. They're like, we can get in the top 12 and get in this thing. BYU might be telling itself that. USC and Texas apparently have at least thought it. They haven't acted on it, but they've thought it. Do you think there's a chance we're going to see in the streaming universe more independence? Because why should a school that's got that big a fan base share that streaming money with anybody? Uh, it's a good point. And I can see, I don't think anybody's, you know, Brigham Young is not independent because it wants to be. It would rather be in a, in a major conference. Um, there's really... Yeah, I think Notre Dame, I'm sorry, Southern Cal and Texas, which is posturing. But, so so nobody nobody does that willingly. But I do think independence might be a better path than a substandard conference. For instance, if Iowa State or West Virginia gets left out in the cold, they might be better off being an independent. And... And um, then joining a you know, American conference or a uh, Mountain West or whatever the case may be. Brigham Young made that decision. It seems like a viable decision to me. Um, and I think you might see that with somebody like a, 
like a uh, a West Virginia or an Iowa State or somebody. Now, if you're Baylor or TCU, you're down there in Texas, you could hook up with Houston, uh, whoever else, that you might be better off in the American. I don't know. But independence could come back. It, you know, it, it almost independence almost died. I think at one point we were down to only Notre Dame as an independent, I think. And maybe a service academy. To, yeah. Yeah, now we're up to four or five, mm-hmm. you know. So um and so I think it's I think it's worth talking about. Um no doubt about it. I I think uh and then, you know, talking about Brigham Young, if the big if the big eight I call them the Big Eight. It's the Big Twelve. You know, those eight decide to try to band and stay together. They could do worse than adding Brigham Young. Um, to me, that would that would be. You know, the, the Cougars have a great following. They have that kind of. You know, you talk about streaming. You don't. You don't worry about cable households with Brigham Young. You talk about uh, potential eyeballs on streaming. Brigham Young brings that in a big time way, so I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a uh, something you, you cast aside. I think that would be an option if they decided to try to stick around and stay together and bring in somebody like a Brigham Young. All right, there's Barry Trammell. When we come back, David Locke, stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Where do the Utah Jazz go from here? Draft coming up. Do they put all their eggs in a basket and try to win a championship in the next three or four years with uh, Donovan before his contract is up and with Rudy before, um, well, quite frankly, you know, he's in his early to mid-30s and maybe not quite as good as he was. Here's David Locke. And start off with the whole concept of super teams and what the Bucks did. Can that be replicated, whether it's by the Jazz or by the Nuggets or by the Mavericks or by the Pacers or whoever? Here's David Locke. So the super teams are becoming the way to build a team. And Durant and Irving try to go build one with the Nets. And the Clippers, right, It's uh, they put their team together. But the Bucks, old school, the draft, fine and value guys, a trade here or there, they win a championship. Are they a blip and an outlier or... Is there real hope hope for flyover, mid to small market, cold weather teams? Well, I think Phoenix should be a part of this conversation. I mean, they're really the anomaly here, right? That's a sense so that they went from non-playoffs to finals. All right, I've got two answers for you. Nothing in a conversation between you and I is ever short-winded. So this is going to be long-winded, okay? Hit it. So, so let me give you the first take on the box, and I think this is really relevant to the Jets. When you look at ESPN or Basketball Reference or 538, and you look at a team during the season, and it gives you their percent to win a championship, right? Mm-hmm. What is it usually about? 22, 25, yeah. 30%, right? Yeah. So I really look at the Bucks as a team that could have won it two years ago, could have won it last year, 
and won it this year. Like you, there's no like hundred percent chance that you're going to win a title when you're a great team. There's like a 20% chance. And so they went on their run and they had a 20% chance to win the title. And the first year they ran into a Toronto team that matched up beautifully with them and they fell apart. The second year, they got derailed by various things. And this year, they didn't see Philadelphia, who to me was the team that could beat them. They had a perfect matchup, and they didn't have to see him. So I think there's a little bit, like from a Jazz standpoint, like we had about a 22% chance to win the title this year with the best record in the league. And so I think you might argue that you run it back pretty similarly for another 22% chance. Because somewhere along the way, if you take enough shots with 22% chance, the pop shot ball goes in. You even might make a shot at that little amusement park thing where the hoop is actually smaller than it looks, it, you know, when you actually chance. And the hoop for a championship is smaller than it looks. So that's the first thing. The second thing, are we good there? Can yep. I move on? Go All ahead. Right. So, so the second thing is I see the league in a, in a massive transformation that got stalled by the, con- the NBA TV contract blip that took place. And so what I mean by that is the NBA signed a collective bargaining agreement with tougher t- luxury tax rules, with, where if you're in the luxury tax, you actually can't sign certain types of players, really restrictive to building massive sh- super teams. You can still get two or three stars, but you're not going to be able to build anything around it. What we have right now is for the first time since 1980, we have four champions in four years. Since 1980, since Magic, the last team to be the fourth team to win in four years that were different was Magic's Lakers in 1980. That's a long, I know that you think you're 32, DJ, but that's a long time ago, (laughs) 1980. So I think we're seeing a, and, If you really think about it, had it not been for the TV blip where Durant goes and signs with the Warriors, if he had stayed in Oklahoma City, I could make a pretty good argument. We might have had six or seven champions in seven years right now. And I think that's a massive change in what is going on in the NBA. This year you have nine or ten teams that are literally sitting here today thinking to themselves, gosh, we could have won this, right? Philadelphia thinks that. Brooklyn thinks that. Milwaukee won it. Phoenix thinks it. The Lakers think it. The Clippers think it. The Nuggets think it. The Jazz think it. The Mavericks are probably close to thinking it. The Warriors are going to think it next year. So I think there's the collective bargaining agreement that took place many years back before the new TV contract that if you took that that little TV contract blip that happened that allowed Durant to sign and you go back, we would have a completely different league for the last seven years. Last one. Are we good there? Yep. Okay. Last one is that the way the game is being played right now with the level of talent, like Devin Booker's like the 15th best player in the league, and he's capable of carrying you to a title. We just, he just basically proved it, right? Donovan Mitchell is what, the 20, 20th best player in the league? Maybe 13th, depending on your point of view? He's pretty outstanding. He can carry you to a playoff series win. So there are so many. What, what's Chris Middleton? Like, is he the 12th, 15th, 25th? Like, there's so much talent in this league right now that it allows you to have players that can literally carry you to win games and win playoff series. Heck, Brooke Lopez dropped 33 in a playoff game. I'm done now. I'm um, I, I, I like a lot of that, but what I really like is that the blip in the TV contract that sent Durant to the Warriors yep. mass a dramatic change in the sport. You might really be onto something there. And I think that's a change that Jazz fans can wrap their arms around. Right. You know, if the title passes around, to your point, you have a 15 or a 20% chance of winning. So you keep your group together for three to five years. And maybe you hit 
but it's not as frustrating as watching the Lakers win all the time. So I think Jazz fans could embrace this on multiple levels. Uh, and the fact that the TV ratings, I can't really tell how good they were. I think there's a little bit of fudging with numbers here because last year's TV ratings were terrible. So 20, you know, up from last year, really. Yeah, they're still way down. Right. From, they're way down right. from two years ago. Right. Um, so highest share since 2012. Like that's an interesting number, but it's masking the fact that people aren't watching TV. They're watching on different platforms. Oh my gosh. That's the, that's the reason the ratings are going down. There's never been more video available and it's easy to point at Amazon and Hulu and Netflix, but my gosh, there are people out there, younger people, but there are people out there consuming an enormous amount of video on TikTok. I mean, it, it keeps fragmenting. I mean, if you watch, if you look at the numbers on YouTube of game, have you seen the numbers on like a jazz, like no. Mavericks game recap on YouTube? It's like 3 million, like the short and condensed version of the game. Mm-hmm. It's crazy numbers. So as everyone watches, maybe I should, maybe I should do something about that. <laughs> what do you have in mind? <laughs> maybe something. <laughs> okay. Tell us, tell us later then. <laughs> okay. Thank you. What's going to happen in the NBA draft? Are the Jazz going to trade up, trade back, trade out? Should we get worked up about this? Will there be a, a, a player there late who is, uh, even though we don't know who he is now, is going to excite us when we're seeing him play in the NBA three years from now? Um, I've watched a few players. I'm actually beginning to think that this draft is pretty deep. Uh, one of our draft experts on the Lockdown NBA draft had said to me um, on our mock draft that he had more than 30 first-round grades. And so that was interesting. I hadn't heard that before. Um, and then I watched a uh, kid Preston out of Ohio the other day. No, I kind of liked him a little bit. Like, it's interesting. He's not an elite athlete, but he moves well. He plays a pro game. Like, if you're taking that at 30, that's a worthwhile. Like, I think he could probably play 15 minutes a night. Um, so, and I watched, a, I think, Moody the other day. I thought he was all right. Kid out of West Virginia. I thought it was pretty good. So, like, I'm watching some guys, and I'm like, okay, I think these guys can probably play a little. Um, the, the next note on that I would have, though, from a jazz standpoint is I might rather use the money for my 30th pick of the draft on a Frank Kaminsky, right, who gave the Suns 12 really good minutes in game seven or game six of the NBA Finals. Like, I don't think there's anyone I'm going to be able to draft here who's going to be able to play in the second, third round, you know, second round conference finals or finals in the NBA playoffs next year. And so if I can use that money for kind of an established veteran who's now on the minimum or close to the minimum instead, and I just go acquire a few second round draft picks for whatever pick I might need, like maybe I'm trading that second round draft pick for the equivalent of PJ Tucker, you know, when it's time to add that piece during the trade deadline, I think that's the move that makes a lot more sense in drafting a player. Well, let me rephrase that. Makes more sense, but this is like a 55-45. And if you have a player you really like who you think, you know, can contribute, but it's like if you think about Desmond Bain last year who was a really nice player and a great pick by Memphis, I just don't think he was playing in the second round. If Memphis had somehow got to the second round playoffs, I don't think he was playing anymore. Like it just gets incrementally more difficult, and those players don't usually play. The Jazz have been a young team for so long. And I think people realize they've gotten older, but the truth is they have gotten older definitively and they are in their championship window. Now, maybe they never get further in the second round. Maybe they win the next two championships, whatever. We can argue about that. But Donovan Mitchell is signed for five years. Donovan has four years and then an option. And there are plenty of Jazz fans stressing about Donovan's future. I get that. Rudy is 29 
In four years, he will be 33. The key to Rudy is, at his size, he moves unbelievably well. So I'm thinking for four years, the Jazz need to be all in on doing whatever they can do to win a championship. Because between Donovan's contract status and Rudy's age, four years is what they've got. After that, I got question marks everywhere. And they can't really be answered. People can obsess, obsess about them. So, can you elaborate a little bit on what... Because you, you seem to be going down that road when you just said, hey, get a veteran, don't get a, a young guy and build for the future. Yes. <laughs> That's it, huh? I nailed it? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think it's three years, not four, but yes. Okay. That that puts Rudy at 32, and if Donovan well, here, says, here's why if Donovan goes full uh, James Harden, then yeah, three right. years, not four. It's three years because the next stage, if you don't, if you if it's not working and it doesn't work and you're, it's not going to work, is you have to move both of them at the three year mark so that you can acquire a million draft picks for your next stage as a franchise. That's the trajectory we're on. The trajectory is a three year run. And then if you're close and it's all good, then you re-sign Don and you re-sign Rudy and yeah, keep adding pieces and hopefully like, hey, it took Giannis and Chris Middleton eight years, right? Right. Um, and so, but if let's say, you know, it's not working out, the game's changed, whatever's happened, da, 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 then on year three, you have, you have to, you, this is just in general, this isn't the Jazz specifically, but franchises, this is what you do, right? Mm-hmm. You evaluate and then when you realize, I mean, it's why the Blazers have walked this thing too long, right? The Blazers should not have held this roster together the way they did for as long as they did without making some sort of move in some capacity. And now they're stuck because they're in the middle of this. Like, are we still running it back with Dame or are we actually moving Dame, which then means we're moving CJ, which means we're moving Nurkic. And probably the real question for them is what they get for Nurkic and what they get for CJ, not what they get for Dame. Right? Like if they're only getting Dame's draft picks and it's hard to rebuild your franchise off that. If they can get a lot from those two guys also, then maybe they can then it's time for them to just unload it. So who can the Jazz get to fill in the gaps that they had when they lost four straight games to the Clippers and got bounced from the playoffs? Um, I think you're so I mean I mean I so obviously, I think you, you you try to really resign Mike, and then you just have to evaluate a little bit on where you think Joe Boyan Royce and Jordan are in the mix because those are just the pieces and what their value proposition is. Um, and they're you know when Duncan Robinson's being talked about at twenty three million and Joe's sitting at eleven, that value proposition's pretty good. When Royce O'Neal sitting at eight, like that value proposition's pretty good. So you you know you may decide that all the value propositions are good on those players, um, and then it's very hard to change your team. So then you're trying trying to maybe play like I think the the shift you might make is if you look at what kind of Milwaukee and Phoenix did at the end of their bench and like Milwaukee did it with Torrey Craig at the beginning of the year that didn't uh, you have to be really careful because Torrey Craig was really unhappy in Milwaukee because he wasn't playing that's why he ended up in Phoenix um is you take the end of your bench and instead of having what we've had the last few years, which is me and Oni, Elijah Hughes, Juwan Morgan, and guys that you're hoping are going to develop and you're trying to hit on like 20% of them so that you can get a rotation player out of it for cheap, is you decide, I'm going to take Frank Kaminsky, Etwan Moore, Langston Galloway. I mean, names, Bryn Forbes, like names that aren't really interesting, but 
in case of breaking case of emergency, they can really play, and that also probably lets you lessen the burden on Joe, a 30-year-old Joe Ingles, a 30-year-old boy on a 30-year-old Mike Conley during the regular season. So, you know, who's sliding to the veteran minimum? What young player do you think actually might be able to play a little bit that comes in and is, you know, like, is Frank Milikina got enough veteran experience that even though he really struggles with a shot, if you had to play him for 15 minutes a night or 20 minutes a night for a period of time while Mike's out because in Donovan's playing point guard, you'd actually be okay. Um, what veteran longtime 33, 34-year-old player is now a minimum salary player that's willing, you know, to play a, to play some role? And, it, you know, it'll have to watch the market to see what happens on that. Um, this is not one I would do because we have Jordan Clarkson, but like Lou Williams will probably be a veteran minimum this year. What other veteran players um, along the way into becoming veteran minimums? Anybody in the NBA really set up to be excellent, especially in the West, but set up to be excellent next year and dominate, or it's wide open. There are eight horses at the top of the stretch of the Kentucky Derby, and there are eight teams in the West, eight abreast, and good luck in a race to the finish. There are three teams that are set up to be that, and two of them have, and all three have massive injury problems. So Denver's set up that way, and Jamal Murray's likely out for the year. Clippers are set up that way, and maybe Kawhi Leonard's out for the year. And I think that the Warriors are set up that way. But what is Clay Thompson coming off an ACL and Achilles? So the answer to your question is that no one's set up that way. And the Lakers are just not. Like, we have to admit, like, LeBron is, like, he's awesome, but, like, the games played issue is real. So is LeBron. And they also have a, and the Lakers have a really tough roster building offseason. Now, maybe they're going to pull it off somehow in some way, and they have a whole agency that's supporting them, so that helps them a great deal. But, like, do they really want to re-sign Dennis Schroeder for $18 million? And if he goes somewhere else, how are they replacing it? And what are they – like, their roster is not, like, very complete, which is why, because they've been in the tax and they've been in these various things, and you can't – it's exactly where we started the conversation. Yeah. There was a moment in the NBA Finals in the celebration after Game 6 that really caught my eye. Giannis is at the microphone. The team is off to his right, and and uh, ABC ESPN reporter asks him something about the championship or whatever, and he turns to Chris Middleton, and he says, Chris, we did it. His voice, the, just the satisfaction, and they cut to Middleton, and the smile that he had on his face, looking back, that moment, so warm, so real, so fulfilling, whatever word you want to throw in there, it was all of those things. They were feeling what every Jazz fan wants to feel about the Jazz in a championship moment that every Jazz fan hopes is out there, and sooner not later. And I'm just wondering how much that resonates with players, that they spent the eight years together, they took the beatings, the horrific defeats, and they got to the top of the mountain. Does the rest of the NBA absorb that? Old-timers, certainly the TNT crew, Barkley and Kenny the Jet Smith and those guys have been saying, Don't, you can't pick up and go, you got to stick and you got to fight. How, does the, how do the other 29 teams and the stars in the league hear that moment? Or did they already turn it off and they went off to form another super team and they were texting their buddies about where they want to join up in two years? Well, I think what is going to matter here is if this happens again, right? So, Is it a one-off or a trend? 
Yeah, like, is there just going to, you know, is, do the Clippers win the next title? And then it's not that they did it, but it's, you know, I don't know if that's a good example, but, you know, or if Denver won the next title with Jamal Murray and Jokic, then you have, then you suddenly have, you know, you have suddenly this the same phenomena happening another time. So it's just a question of whether the, you know, building a super team no longer becomes the answer. Like these players for a long time believed that the only way you win a title is you win a, build a super team. And let's make sure that we're clear. James Worthy, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Byron Scott, super team. Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, Dennis Johnson, Bill Walton, super team. Julius Irving, Moses Malone, like Bobby Jones, Doug Collins, super team, right? Like those teams all had three, four Hall of Famers. This is not a new concept to this generation. It just happened to be, the, you know, so this isn't new, right? Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, Tim Duncan, David Robinson, four Hall of Famers. All right, there's David Locke, radio voice of the jazz. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.